Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com. When John Crosby first announced the topic of this conference, I had the idea for a paper that seemed to me quite sound. Then when I began to write the abstract, I realized two things. First, the question, must morality be grounded in God, is vague and ambiguous. Second, I came to realize that the idea for the paper that seemed to me quite sound now seemed to me not so sound. Actually, part of it is sound though it is the reverse of what I originally thought. And in the end, I have to say, I'm still not sure about the whole thing. Um, I had a dream last night that as I'm talking, all of you started walking out <laughs> one by one. So, but the paper's very short, just nine, nine and a half pages. Um, and it's not an area I work in a lot. And I suppose I violated a rule you shouldn't apologize at the beginning of a paper like this. And so. so the paper has two parts. Um, in the first part, I will try to clarify the question, must morality be grounded in God? That takes about five pages. At least I will offer some ways the question can be understood. I will then settle on one way of understanding this question and the remainder of the paper will be an attempt to answer or respond to that question. <clears throat> the question, must morality be grounded in God, might first be interpreted in this way. One could interpret this question as presupposing that God exists and morality exists and that morality is indeed grounded in God while asking whether morality is grounded in God with necessity. Though morality is grounded in God, could it have been grounded in someone or something else besides God? If morality could have been grounded in someone or something else besides God, God would be the sufficient condition for grounding morality, but not a necessary condition. This is quite plain, for if one supposes that God and morality exist, and that morality is grounded in God, but that morality could have been grounded in someone or something else, then God would only be sufficient to ground morality, but not necessary. For example, one might hold that God could have created a demiurge, and the demiurge would then have been the ground for morality. If, however, morality could not have been grounded in someone or something else besides God, then Given that God and morality exist and that morality is grounded in God, God is necessary and sufficient to ground morality. <clears throat> this question might secondly be interpreted in this way. One could again interpret this question as presupposing that morality is indeed grounded in God while asking whether the relationship must be that of grounding it. In other words, one again presupposes that God and morality exist and that morality is grounded in God, but could the relationship between God and morality have been different than God grounding it? Could it have been that God and morality exist, but the relationship between God and morality not be that of God grounding morality? Indeed, might there have been no relationship at all? This raises the question of exactly what the relation 
relationship of grounding morality is. Suffice it to say at this point that if the only relationship between possible, if the only relationship possible between God and morality is that, God, that of God grounding morality, then obviously morality must be grounded in God if God and morality exist. But if the relationship could have been a different relationship or there be no relationship at all, then morality need not be grounded in God. In other words, if God and morality exist and morality is grounded in God, but the relationship between God and morality could have been different than the relationship of God grounding morality, then it is not the case that morality must be grounded in God. Morality might have had a different relationship to God other than it being grounded in God, or there might have been no relationship at all. Now with these two interpretations, I use the definition of necessity and contingency as what could not have been otherwise and what could have been otherwise. I did this to accommodate an understanding of God as immutable and eternal outside of time. One could instead suppose God to be within time and mutable. The question doesn't preclude that. One could again presuppose that God and morality exist and that morality is grounded in God. Then to ask whether morality must be grounded in God is to ask whether it is possible that there be a moment of time in which God and morality exist but morality is not grounded in God. Thus, though God and morality exist and morality is grounded in God, can it be otherwise, not could it have been otherwise, that morality is grounded in God? With respect to my two previous interpretations, is it possible that at some moment morality is grounded in a demiurge, or at some moment the relationship of grounding is replaced by a different relationship, or no relationship at all? Notice that if in either of these two cases it can be otherwise, this need not be a future moment. It might have been realized at some past moment to then change by the time we get to the present moment. Notice also that to grant that it can be otherwise does not entail that this is actually realized at some moment. In other words, it is not inconsistent to hold that God and morality exist and are each in time and that morality is grounded in God, but this is not necessary since it can be otherwise at some moment of time, though this will never actually be realized at some moment of time. <coughs> Now these remarks, I believe, give rise to the question of exactly what is meant in speaking of a ground of morality. Indeed, one might ask whether it is at all obvious that morality needs a ground, needs to be grounded, depending, of course, on what one means by ground. If you look up the word grounded in a thesaurus, you get based, supported, built, substantiated, justified, founded, established, and centered. Given this fairly wide scope of what one could mean by grounded, one could argue this way. Of course morality is grounded in God. Everything is grounded in God, since without God there would be no universe at all. God is the creator of the universe, and just as our existence, the existence of everything is established, founded, or supported by God. 
so morality is also. The requirement of a foundation for the contingent existence of the universe obviously extends to morality. So morality must be grounded in God, since it is part of the universe and the universe must be grounded in God. Of course, I grant that this is probably not what most people have in mind by the question, must morality be grounded in God? They do not mean something that applies to everything in the universe but something specific or peculiar about morality since it involves good and evil. <clears throat> in this regard, one, another way one could argue is from the position of a divine command ethics. I grant that different things can be meant by a divine command ethics. I have in mind here by a divine command ethics an ethics in which God freely decides what is right or wrong. God freely decided that larceny would be wrong and generosity good, but he could have decided the reverse. Anyone who would hold a divine command ethics in this sense obviously would hold that morality must be grounded in God, since God is the very source of morality, the source of what will be right and what will be wrong. Now, though this view does deal specifically with morality, this version of a divine command ethics is probably not something most philosophers or theologians would find appealing. At least I hope they wouldn't. After all, is it within God's freedom to command that we disobey him? If not, then there is at least one moral principle to which his freedom does not extend. If it is, then we run into the problem that we obey him by disobeying him. This version of a divine command ethics does raise the following question, however. If it is not within God's power freely to decide what is right and what is wrong, what exactly does it mean to speak of morality as grounded in God? Indeed, whatever one might mean by a ground of morality, if what is right is necessarily right, and what is wrong is necessarily wrong, <coughs> and it is not within God's power to change what is right or wrong, why does morality need a ground or foundation or support? If to be free or rational belongs necessarily to the nature or essence of a human being, <coughs> There is no sense in asking what the ground or foundation of this is. The fact is that these attributes or capacities are found in the nature of a human being and no further support or foundation is needed. Other examples <clears throat> similar to this could be offered. If having equal diagonals belongs necessarily to the nature or essence of a square, it is not at all clear what one is asking if one inquires further as to the ground or foundation of this. It is simply a property of a square. So if one holds that it belongs necessarily to what larceny is, to the nature of larceny, that it be wrong, and that it belongs necessarily to the nature of generosity, that it be right, why is any further ground or support or foundation needed? Must morality be grounded in God? Perhaps if we examine what is meant by morality in this question, what exactly is being asked can be better understood. 
Well, suppose instead one means by morality a system of rules of conduct that are instituted or enacted by a society or government or some community. Just as the rules of eth etiquette are produced or constituted by some community or society, so also are the rules of morality. This is, of course, a moral relativism. An action could be right in relation to the rules of one society and wrong in relation to the rules of another society. No action would be intrinsically right or wrong. Under such a view of morality, one couldn't simply ask whether generosity is right or wrong. One would have to add a certain group or society or community to the question, is generosity right in contemporary American society? Was larceny wrong in ancient Rome? Morality understood in this way obviously would not have its foundation in God any more than the rules of etiquette would. Now you might be getting frustrated. So I have here the comment. Now one of you might be tempted to blurt out, come on Roberts, moral relativism, a divine command ethics. You know darn well that this is not the sense of morality being asked about in the question, must morality be grounded in God? I can appreciate such a comment. But I would ask this person, I would ask this person whether the question as it is formulated makes it clear in any way what is meant by morality or God or the relation of grounding and how the modal operator of necessity functions in this question. Indeed, does this question, as it is clearly stated, rule out Manichaeanism or forms of it? Of course morality is grounded in God. There are two, a good one and a bad one. I'm satisfied at this point <laughs> that I have made the best case I can in five pages for why the question, must morality be grounded in God, is ambiguous. Let me move to the second part of my paper and present an interpretation to the question, must morality be grounded in God, that I will be concerned with for the remainder of the paper. Consider that a little boy named Mark is caught lying to his mother. <laughs> See, around here we do phenomenology. So what we want to do is we want to go to the original experience that's going to give us the issue. So Mark is caught lying by his mother. His mother tells him that what he did is morally wrong and that he should not do this again. Mark, who already at an early age had a proclivity, has a proclivity for doing philosophy, asks his mother, why is what I did wrong? His mother responds that what he did is wrong because it is wrong to lie. This, of course, will not be enough to satisfy Mark, who then asks his mother, where this rule that it is wrong to lie comes from? Did she make it up? Did the society they live in make it up? Did God make it up? She responds that no one made it up. This is, of course, the only reasonable answer she can give. 
Mark, even at an early age, will recognize the problems with saying that the rule that lying is morally wrong is made up or decreed by some society. The relativism would be more extreme if she said that she made it up. What Mark finds more intriguing is his mother's assertion that not even God made it up. So he wants confirmation of this and asks his mother, you mean not even God made up the rule that lying is wrong? She, of course, wants to steer clear of a radical divine command ethics as I described previously. <laughs> See what I put my mother through? It's so terrible. <laughs> and she says, no, not even God made it up. Mark responds. So God can't make lying right instead of wrong? No, Mark, he can't, she says. Then Mark responds, you mean this rule is even greater than God? No, Mark, his mother says, nothing is greater than God. See, we're getting to the heart of the issue, I think. Mark continues, but if the rule that lying is wrong is not greater than God, but God cannot make it different, what's the relation between God and this rule? This is Mark's last question to his mother, since his mother has no answer. The issue that I have tried to frame with this example is one that, of course, applies to all moral principles. I characterize moral principles as transcendent, that is, they are timeless, and so outside of space and time. I also presuppose that they are necessary and could not have been different. Transcendence and necessity are sufficient to eliminate moral relativism, as well as the form of divine command ethics I explained previously. So the question, must morality be grounded in God, might better be phrased as, must transcendent necessary moral principles be grounded in God? This, it seems to me, is the central issue at stake here. What is the relation, if any, between transcendent moral principles and God? With this question rephrased in this way, is it clear that moral principles need a ground? One thing does have to be granted. If Mark's act of lying is morally wrong in any significant or serious way, it has this characteristic of being wrong, morally wrong and could only be judged to have this characteristic if there are necessary transcendent moral principles by which Marx's action is in itself morally wrong. If Marx's act of lying is morally wrong because the king in the kingdom in which Marx lives has declared or decreed that lying is morally wrong, then Marx's action would be morally wrong in relation to this principle. It would itself have the characteristic of being morally wrong, but it would not have this characteristic in itself, since it has it only in virtue of a relation to the king's decree. I take this to be similar to the platonic problem that if a particular person's love is imperfect in some way, or if it is judged to be so, then a standard of evaluation is needed. Standards that could change or could have been otherwise, or standards that are only decreed 
or enacted by some society or community could not be the foundation for the imperfection of the love to be serious or significant. The standard of perfect love has to be necessary and transcendent. Indeed, the point can be made that nothing in the world can serve as this kind of a standard or principle since everything in the world is itself subject to such an evaluation and falls under the purview of such standards. One reason the king's decrees cannot be the foundation of moral principles is because the king's decrees, his actions, are themselves subject to and governed by moral principles. This, as you'll see, is a, an important point later. Now, if one grants that for a particular person's love to be imperfect in a significant or serious way requires a necessary transcendent principle, it is not at all clear to me why one would have to ask further what the ground or foundation of this principle is. Many philosophers believe that the law of non-contradiction or logical laws are necessary and transcendent without asking further for the ground or foundation of this, for these laws. What's more, why would one have to suppose that these laws must be grounded in God? Why can't the standard of love be grounded in the essence of love, an ideal form? One might remark to another person that the person's love is imperfect because it belongs necessarily to the nature of love that one take an interest in the beloved for the sake of the beloved and the person by and large does not do this. So why can't the universe be one that has necessary transcendent moral principles with no further ground? The universe is one based upon karma or that it belongs to the nature of lying, that lying is morally wrong, and to the nature of generosity, that generosity is good. That's the way it is, and no further ground is needed. Consider that a person reasons validly if a person reasons according to the logical principle of modus ponens. Contrary to the school of psychologism, this logical principle has a necessary transcendent status. Is it necessary to ask but what's the ground or foundation of modus ponens? Thus, at this point, I am prepared to argue that there are necessary transcendent moral principle, principles and there does not seem to be a reason why they must be grounded in God or in anything else. The universe is simply a platonic type of universe. Let me consider, however, one argument that someone might offer for why necessary transcendent moral principles must be grounded in God. The center of the argument is that the goodness of God is needed in order for the actions of human beings to be right or wrong, and that without this divine goodness, actions could not be morally right or wrong. In John Rist's excellent uh, lecture last night, uh, one of the points he raised is, could Plato have gotten from the form of the good to God? See, And that's sort of where I feel I am now, because I've got my platonic universe. See, but can you stop with that? See? Now, there are a number of points I want to make regarding this claim. First, what is the conception of God that is required for this argument to work? 
Is it God understood as a first mover or first cause or designer of the universe? I submit that such conceptions taken individually or together would be insufficient. What would be required for the argument to work, in my view, is God understood as a being of maximal perfection. The reason is that God conceived merely as first mover is a being whose actions as a mover would fall within the purview of a moral standard. Okay, he's a first mover, but is what he did good? The same applies to God conceived as first cause or designer. But a being who is maximally perfect could in no respect be subject to moral laws. This was in part the original thought I had when I first heard of the topic of this conference. Only an Anselmian God, a supreme being of maximal perfection, could ground a moral principle, since only such a being could be infinitely good. If this is so, the goodness of moral actions would participate in the divine infinite goodness that is God along the lines that are explained by Aquinas, which I do not go into. My concern with the argument is the following. It is important to notice that there is an essential difference between a mere moral principle and the perfect realization of moral goodness. On a parenthetical note, this is the issue of self-predication in Plato, it seems to me. Again, something John Rist mentioned last night, though I am here less sympathetic to Plato's reasoning. Why must the form of the good be good? Never mind maximally or infinitely good. Let me return to the issue of the standard of what perfect and imperfect love is. I take it as clear that any serious <coughs> or significant sense in which a particular person's love is imperfect or can be evaluated as such requires a necessary transcendent principle that serves as a standard for what perfect love is. But it is entirely different to argue from there that any serious or significant sense in which a particular person's love is imperfect or can be evaluated as such requires the perfect maximal realization of love. If one starts with God conceived, at, conceived as maximally perfect, and therefore God understood as having the pure perfections, then God is love and he is goodness. In this case, God would be the ground or foundation of moral goodness and love. But I am at this point not convinced that necessary transcendent moral principles or standards of perfection can justify the claim that there must be perfect realizations, maximally perfect realizations of love and goodness. And let's throw in beauty especially if one considers that such a being must be personal. See, could Plato have gotten from the form of the good to a person who's maximally perfect? Such standards frame a Platonic universe, but are, at least at this point in my mind, insufficient to justify the claim of the existence of an Anselmian personal god of maximal perfection. Thank you. Faith and Reason Podcasts. New media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com.